This episode is brought to you by Vonage. Your business needs more than an 800 number. With Vonage Voice API, you can provide the call experience your customers expect and get the data your team needs. From call analytics and virtual assistance to automatic speech recognition and text-to-speech in multiple languages. Your customer service team can help more people in more places. And with in-app voice, your customers can easily contact you the moment they have a question. Take your calls to the next level with Vonage Voice API. Learn more at Vonage.com. Diablo 4 has arrived. As the forces of hell gather, only you can stand in their way. Journey across the expansive open world of Sanctuary. Choose from five powerful classes, then progress them to fit your playstyle. Adventure with your friends in up to four-player co-op with cross-play and cross-progression on all platforms. Welcome to hell. Diablo 4, available now. Rated M for Mature. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Liquid IV. When life gets busy, you grind, you push, you reach for a stick of Liquid IV powder. It hydrates you two times faster than water alone, so you can crush goals and your to-do list. Because real life is extreme enough. Real people, real flavor, real hydrating. Buy a stick in store or at liquidiv.com with the code podcast for 20% off your order. Hey guys, welcome back. And before the episode starts, I wanted to just say a huge shout out for National Sunscreen Day, which is on Saturday. But I wanted to publish this episode before we publish our very special episode, which is going to be for the actual um, Sunscreen Day itself, which will be airing on Saturday. And this is because the active ingredient or um, the main ingredient, the hallmark ingredient in the serum for Delavie Science's um, is called bacillus lysate and bacillus lysate as you guys will learn in this episode is extremely extremely protective against high levels of radiation um as dr landry will explain in this episode it has been tested on the international space station and you know the amount of uv out there in space as you guys know and and radiation sorry is exponentially higher than anything we experience on earth right so one of the big points that came up in this was that there is this huge potential for using this isolate and you know using it in sunscreen formulations or using it as some way to augment your sun protection so that's really why i wanted to preface this episode i wanted to make sure that you know we are honoring this wonderful wonderful um hallmark um in our in our calendar which is the national sunscreen um you know weekend i guess you could call it but i i really wanted to point that out and i hope you love this episode coming up it's really great it's truly truly innovative science that they're doing at delivery sciences and dr landry is truly just uh was a marvelous guest to have on this show so enjoy the episode and happy national sunscreen uh weekend slash day uh which is tomorrow but i hope you love this one and i hope you love the episode coming up tomorrow as well thanks guys Welcome back to Skincare Anarchy. This is your host, Ekta, and I have such a wonderful guest with me today. I am very honored and truly humbled that he is with us. Um, I'm just excited to just interview him and also uh, bring this whole concept and this whole topic to you guys, because as you all know, you know, right now, the world of just epigenetics and new types of skincare and, you know, just all these different, you know, 
I guess, categories in this industry are popping up and emerging. And, um, you know, this specifically is very, very novel and interesting to me. So without further ado, I would love to introduce you guys to Dr. Kyle Landry, who is um, the president and co-founder of Delavine Sciences. Welcome to the show, Kyle. I'm so excited to host you. Oh, thank you so much. And I'm so excited to be on. Oh, I'm so excited to host you and I'm honored to host you. I know that the work you have done and are doing is truly novel, like I said, and very, very groundbreaking. And that's really kind of, you know, something I want to dive into. But first, I really want to learn about you because I know your background is very impressive. You know, you are really, truly a scholar. So I would love for you to dive into that if you could for us and and kind of give us a background about your own um, journey and, you know, your education and all of your training, if you could, that's, yeah. as a good place. Thank yeah, you. of course. Absolutely. So I'm actually a food scientist by training. I have a bachelor's, master's, and a PhD in food science. Um, my undergraduate was more food chemistry. My master's, I was more food biotechnology. I worked a lot um, on purifying and characterizing enzymes from novel organisms. And that's actually where my love for extremophiles was first uh, created uh, back mm. many years ago. And then for my PhD, I was in delivery systems and emulsification systems along with uh, population genomics per se, or the microbiome of uh, produce, specifically bean sprouts. Sure. And, you know, during that time, uh, I, was, I also became a faculty member of Boston University. Um, when, I was when I started my PhD, I started teaching at 23 years old in the Department of Health and Rehabilitation Sciences over at BU. And I've been there ever since. So, uh, you know, 10 plus years there in uh, the other side is, is very exciting and interesting. But how I got tied in with David in, in my introduction to longevity is actually pretty interesting. It's a cool story. So yeah. one day, um, you know, I'm doing my PhD, you know, just rocking out in the lab. And I get a phone call from David Sinclair. And at that time, I had no idea who he was, right? I'm in a different discipline. I'm in food science, food chemistry, food microbiology. We don't really talk about longevity or epigenetics or anything like that. But he gives me a call and he's like, hey, is this Dr. Landry? I was like, you know, it's Kyle. How are you doing? And he's like, this is David Sinclair. I'm a professor at Harvard Medical School. I've read some of your papers and you seem to be one of the only few people in this space, doing what you're doing, uh, would you like to be a postdoc in my lab? Wow. And, you know, I told my advisor, my advisor's like, who's David Sinclair? So we Google him right away. And we're like, wow, you know, he's the big deal. Um, you know, he's Time Magazine, a whole bunch of other things. So I told my advisor, I was like, you know, hey, I already have five papers and a patent. Can I uh, get out of here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And she was like, okay. So, uh, you know, we, I, I left and I went over there and I started work with him on extremophiles. And, you know, extremophiles may seem extreme and no pun intended or kind of right. out there. But if you actually think about it, somehow they're thriving in a hostile environment. Right. In an environment that doesn't necessarily support majority of life. And this could be ultra high temperatures, ultra low temperatures, high salt, low pH, right? UV radiation, high amount of oxidants. There's a whole bunch of different things that 
you know, we normally look at as extremes, but there are organisms that thrive and grow there every day. Right. And, and so David and I, you know, started looking at extremophiles and how they, how some enzymes repair DNA, or break down DNA and, and applications in a, a whole bunch of different spaces. And uh, that led to a patent. And then we spun out, um, or, or which was taken up by another company. And, you know, I was there for some time. I started off as a scientist and I ended up being the chief scientist. Um, I was in this kind of quasi-government pharmaceutical company for six or seven years. And then I was like, okay, we have a lot of potential here, a lot of ingredients that we could potentially use for skincare. Yeah. Let's dive into that space. Right. Dale V came from, you know, Dale V was founded, uh, basically started last January, January of 2022, and we hit the ground running. Wow. I love that. And I, I, I love, you know, you've been very humble, by the way, uh, explaining your background. I have done a lot of research into your background and you're very, very impressive for everyone listening. You know, Kyle is truly, or Dr. Landry is truly very impressive in his work. And it really shows in the line as well, you know, and as talking about extremophiles, um, Dr. Landry, I would love to really kind of dive into that and get your, um, I guess, maybe a layman uh, explanation for the listeners, you know, like what are extremophiles, you know, what can we really expect as consumers, you know, just learning about them in general and kind of understanding them, right? Like as, just to move forward. Yeah. So an extremophile is basically any organism that grows uh, or needs to be in a extreme environment. So for example, one of the organisms we have here is an organism that it's a fungus and it has to grow at 55 degrees centigrade or higher. And that's 130 degrees, 131 degrees Fahrenheit or higher. I would not want to be hanging out in a place that's 131 degrees for my whole life. <laughs> okay. So this yeah. organism needs to be in extreme environment in order to grow. And the environments can all they could change. Like I said, it could be high salt. It could be UV exposure, which is the background or backing for the bacillus lysate, which we'll go over later. Um, or it could be high temperature. And why it's important and why we should look at this for not only just skincare, but biotechnology in general, is because the mechanisms and machinery these organisms use can be very beneficial for both pharmaceuticals all the way to your laundry detergent. And most people don't realize this, but there are a lot of fungal enzymes in your laundry detergent that can operate at those temperatures that would normally be detrimental uh, to other enzymes or not, not work. Yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah, I didn't know that, like about the laundry detergent thing. I, I, I didn't realize that. I mean, that I can see that though. And you know what's really intriguing? And this just popped in my mind while you were explaining that was that you know, I've actually, you know, had these conversations, like my father is also in microbiology, and he, he started off, I think, kind of similarly to you, where he was in dairy microbiology, you know, mm -hmm. when he started. And so uh, I would always have these, you know, conversations with him growing up about how, you know, we could be utilizing things like, you know, people talk about alien, you know, life forms, right? Like we, we love talking about that, you know, from a physics perspective. But then when you look at extremophiles, I mean, 
that's literally the closest we can understand what it would be like to live in a completely different type of environment than what we're used to as human beings. And so to be able to look at that and from that perspective and then, you know, try to extract what we can from them and create things like, for example, you know, there's this whole debate going on about like sunscreen, for example, you know, mm -hmm. and how we need new approaches to, you know, creating better sunscreen or creating better ways to, you know, really kind of deliver that to our you know topical application but it's like if you look at these organisms you're going to figure out that there are different mechanisms like you had mentioned that are just not being utilized by us you know in any form in any industry so um i would love to kind of get your feedback on that in terms of like where do you think you know this whole area of study stands right now when it comes to the over-the-counter kind of you know multiple industries that we're dealing with i mean do you think that it's underrepresented or do you think there is work being done that is kind of in the pipelines and it's we're going to see it in the future. What's your opinion around that? So I'll, I'll tackle both extremophiles and also the sunscreen at the same time. So in the extremophile world, for your for your listeners who are into the science, one of the most impactful discoveries was TAC polymerase, right? Yeah. So this is an enzyme that you use in PCR, the polymerase chain reaction. And without it, we wouldn't have basically any of the technology we have today that's leaked with even all the way up to sequencing, right? Because in order to understand genes and in, in the genome, we had to understand how we could sequence or identify and, and use techniques like PCR to, 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 to walk. So discoveries from extremophiles have made huge impacts right. on us already without us really understanding where the science came from in the first place. Now with Consumer care products, sunscreen, supplements, probiotics, you know, people are looking into this, but it's also, I believe, in its infancy. There's a lot of interest in the gut microbiome, the skin microbiome, fermentation byproducts, all these different things. And, you know, a lot of people are focusing on the organisms we know of now because they're easy to grow. It is, it's, you know, simpler. But in the world of extremophiles, you can get different compounds, different compositions of matter uh, from being in these extreme environments that, you know, you normally couldn't get from traditional organisms. And I think we're just at the beginning of appreciating that. Um, and that's exactly true with bacillus lysate. I mean, for example, uh, the bacillus lysate comes from an organism called bacillus pumilus. And this was originally isolated by NASA a while ago, uh, because it was able to survive in their clean rooms. And so this organism was able to survive germicidal lamp exposure. Mm. And, you know, the, the people who were in the spacecraft assembly facility saw this as a cool novelty, and they looked at it for, you know, possible ways to model uh, decontamination of spacecraft. And, th and that's where this basically came from. And then they said, you know what? will go to the extreme and put it in the outside the space station. But mm. the concept of using that for consumer products wasn't necessarily there because they were looking at it through a different optic. So I feel like a lot of these organisms that have been looked for or looked at academically uh, will start coming through and being used in products because the optics are changed. People are looking for natural alternatives to things and what's better than 
using something from an organism that has already evolved to do that process. Right. Right. That's very interesting. No, I, I find it to be very unique, you know, just the uh, different types of applications that we can get from extremophiles because, you know, um, one, one area of, uh, you know, I guess a subdiscipline of this field that I'm interested in is um, the enzymes that we can um, extract, right? Mm -hmm. So especially when it comes to skincare, I'm very interested in your in your feedback about this as well is um, the use of these organisms to create, you know, products that are, you know, utilizing extremozymes, which are the enzymes that are extracted, right, from these organisms, and how they can be used for things like antioxidants, you know, for example, antioxidant potentials, you know, DNA repair, like you mm -hmm. had mentioned, moisturization, anti-aging. So what is, you know, really like, my question to you is like, what is the, you know, from what your experience, the best way to be utilizing these organisms for skincare? So there are, there are, you know, three classifications. So it's funny you brought up enzymes. My whole background, you know, for many years is enzymology, especially with extremophiles. And we're also developing an enzyme ingredient right now from an extremophile that will help unplug pores and oh. uh, debride, like do mild debridement to get rid of dead tissue or, or you know, help with uh, exfoliation. And this is all from extremophiles uh, because they have the ability to produce enzymes that work in conditions, for example, like low pH. Like most cleansers are, are acidic. They have some type of acid in there and that would normally be detrimental to enzymes. But these enzymes are from organisms that grow in these environments or can withstand these low pHs. So the enzymes actually work best. But like when you think about it for ingredients with extremophiles, you know, you can look at a lysate, which is a general extract from an organism, right. or you can go down to its uh, components. And so with enzymes, you know, you can purify them out, you can look for certain activities, and then of course, once you identify the sequence, you can produce them recombinantly if you want. The other thing is looking for secondary metabolites. So one thing, if you, if you, you know, look in the extremophile world, you'll see that there's a lot of secondary metabolites. So these could be bioactive compounds. These could be pigments. These could be polysaccharides that are excreted. Uh, these are compounds that uh, are very unique because they have to be structurally unique to withstand those environments. And that's where you get the beneficial properties that are not found in other ingredients. That's very so, interesting. Yeah, it's, the, it's wide open, right? It's uh, a wide yeah. open field, uh, you know, it, but it takes a lot of time, right? I mean, this is heavy R&D. This is biochemistry, molecular biology type of stuff. And, and all the good stuff. All the yeah, good all stuff. the good <laughs> stuff. But unfortunately, you know, cosmetics has the the cliche of, you know, it's not, it's just mixing things that are already available and it's mostly marketing, right? It's not, yeah. yeah, it's not actual application in science, but because we come from a heavy science background and a drug development background, we're focusing on that. And then because of that, you know, we end up getting great results and, and people like the products. Now, one thing I do want to ask you as like a follow-up is the stability of these kinds of enzymes and other molecules, because, you know, if they're being extracted from, you know, organisms that are used to living under such adverse conditions, you know, what, like what is, 
what is the stability component here? Because, you know, we hear a lot about things like, oh, vitamin C has been stabilized and this has been stabilized. And I'm sitting here thinking, well, if you're extracting something from an extremophile, it's already stable because obviously it's utilizing it. So what's your um, feedback on that? that component? So, yeah. So you, we're actually very um, lucky and privileged because organisms that grow or thrive in extreme environments have to make very robust compounds or very robust enzymes. So for example, uh, normally if you buy an enzyme from a, a chemical company or a supplier, you know, whatever, it comes, has, comes in a powder and it has to be kept frozen. And that's because, you know, at room temperature, elevated temperatures, they start to denature, they start to break down. But if you have organisms that grow at 130 degrees Fahrenheit, and the enzymes are still stable, they're going to be stable at room temperature. So, you know, the extreme environments actually lead to stronger, more robust compounds. And that's not always the case, right? But so far, you know, majority of the enzymes we've worked with from these extreme environments, uh, enzyme, the organisms from the extreme environments are more robust and more stable which means we don't have to dry them into a powder, which means we can keep them in a water suspension or buffer suspension at room temperature. And we don't have to worry about them degradating or breaking down over time. So maybe for the chemistries, like the small molecules, like the antioxidants or the redox compounds, things like vitamin C that are reactive, you have to stabilize them because they're reacting to things in the environment and they're changing the conformation of the compounds. Um, so for the chemistries, you may still have those same issues, but at least on the biology side for the proteins and the enzymes, the peptides, all of those kind of macro size things, you know, yeah. it's actually more stable than you would think. That's very, very interesting. Wow. I, I love that because I think that that's really something that I've always been curious about, you know, we do hear a lot about um, just how certain, not just vitamin C, but also, you know, for example, our exfoliation products, mm -hmm. you know, things that are going bad in six months, you know, products that like, you know, they, they go bad, right? After you open them, expose them to air, whatnot. So it just makes you wonder, you know, how just oxygen is reacting with different molecules, not just things that are very volatile, like vitamin C, but I, I love how you explain that. Thank you so much for that. And I, I actually want to use this as a segue to dive into the brand because, you know, Delavi, um, right now for everyone listening has a wonderful serum in the line and there's a wonderful eye cream in the line both are really really nice and I find them to be extremely um, unique because the hydration that you get from both products is um, you know no pun intended, but out of this world, you know, it's, it's really, really great stuff. And, you know, you, once you apply it, you don't really have to worry about anything else throughout the day. You don't really get oily. You know, I've been, I tested it at night, you know, with makeup on and under mm -hmm. my makeup, even I did not see the oiliness that you get from a lot of these hydration products out there. So um, Dr. Landry, I would love for you to dive into the actual line itself and talk about a Aonia and the age defying serum, of course, and obviously the eye cream as well. If you could talk about like what the purpose was, the vision was for you when you were creating these. Yeah. So this all stems back to our patented proprietary ingredient bacillus lysate. Uh, Bacillus lysate was developed aboard the International Space Station. Uh, it is certified space technology by the Space Foundation. So that in itself brings credibility to where the product came from. It's not just a marketing ploy. This was actually researched by astronauts on the space station. And, 
you know, working with David, we had this concept of thought process like, hey, if this organism can survive outside the International Space Station exposed to all this radiation, it must have some interesting repair mechanisms or, you know, some type of machinery or compounds that, that may be beneficial to skin. So when we looked at Bacillus lysate, we noticed some really cool things. The first one is that it activates CERT1 in, in CERTUNs, which are DNA repair enzymes. So the actual Bacillus lysate extract enhances the activity, and we have data that shows it's just as effective as, say, resveratrol in terms of turning on sirtuins. The, oh, second, wow. the yeah. second thing, which is interesting that you comment about the hydration, is that uh, in tissue culture studies, the bacillus lysate actually enhanced the production of natural hyaluronic acid in the cells. So this is something that we've heard a lot about. And, you know, the compounds and ingredients that are in there, some of them are in other compounds, so they're nothing new. But the bacillus lysate itself, because it is shown to actually increase intrinsic hyaluronic acid production, is what we believe aids in the increased hydration. I mean, a lot of people have hyaluronic acid in serums, but the question is, does it absorb? How long does it last in the cellular matrix? How much water does it actually bind, right? And with the bacillus lysate, if it's telling your cells to make more of your own hyaluronic acid, what's more effective than your own hyaluronic acid? Nothing, right? right. So that's very impactful. It's also you know, a great antioxidant. And it, another interesting aspect about the antioxidant side is that it also quenches free radicals that are formed from UVA exposure. I was just going to ask you that about the UV. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so UV, yeah, so UVA, is, if you know and your listeners know, is the one that leads to the visible signs of aging, right? It, it creates radicals that cross-link peptides and collagen and everything else that leads to fine lines and wrinkles. Right. Uh, so if the bacillus lysate quenches or binds those radicals right after they're formed, they're less likely to interact with your matrix and accelerate wrinkle formation. So, you know, the bacillus lysate, we had all this great data and, you know, we're like, okay, what do we do? Let's start with a serum. That's going to be our, our hero product, our launch. So we put together this great serum and I'm going to tell you, it took us a very, a lot of time and effort went to the serum well over six, eight months of just pure development timeline um, just to get it just right, because the texture is so important. It high, it absorbs right away. It's ultra light. You know, it doesn't really interfere with foundation or makeup, like you were mentioning. Right? We were very intentional with the formulation. Um, yeah. yeah. No, the, I mean, it shows. It shows in the product. I mean, it's really, it's, it's kind of like a one and done deal product. I mean, the serum itself. I mean, it, it really... For everyone listening out there, you know, I know that we have a plethora of skincare products that are, you know, marketing hype all over the place, right? With the antioxidant potential, you know, and the whole, you know, hydration aspect and all of this stuff. But um, this really is, I mean, this serum is truly remarkable. I mean, it really does do what 
you want all of your serums combined to do without having seven steps. So I'm a huge fan already. You know, it's, it's a really, really great product. I well, think you've, I mean, this is, I mean, it's just a testament to science, really. That's how I see it. I mean, you guys have done something that is so, it's outside of the box in the best way possible. You know what I mean? That's how I see it. And I, I really love that because you had made this amazing point earlier where you were talking about how, yeah, you know, you have all these like companies that are making these products, but you know, to be honest, they're all going to the same manufacturing facilities and they're creating the same stuff. I and mean, the same ingredients, the, the same, same ingredients, yeah. same ingredients, same chemists, same stuff. You know, it's like we just keep bottling it up in different bottles and that's it. But this is really unique. I mean, this serum, like I said, when I tried it, I was like really testing it. You know, I was putting it through the, you know, <laughs> the ringer and I was trying to see is it going to make my skin oily is it how is it going to make my skin feel at the end of the day after I wash everything off I mean my skin was very soft at the end of the day I didn't feel like it was deprived of anything I didn't feel like I needed to add in that really heavy night moisturizer to like you know rehydrate it get it back no it felt wonderful so I really love everything that you've done here I mean it's a great serum so you know and one one thing I really want to actually ask you is you know, we, we were talking about the radiation aspect, right? When you were mm -hmm. talking about testing it in space. And um, I'm curious, you know, if you were to create this into a, an actual quote unquote sunscreen, what else do you think we would need to create a great sunscreen? Because this is, I mean, it has so much of that protective capacity right here, right? So, I mean, what do you, what do you think would be needed extra? If anything? So in the United States, um, sunscreen is regulated as a drug right? Yeah. It's an OTC. So in order to actually create a new UV filter, uh, you would have to submit a uh, IND new drug application, and it'd be 10 plus years and hundreds of millions of dollars, because the UV filters go through the same scrutiny as cholesterol medication, uh, yeah. which is why we actually have a lack of innovation in the sun care space in the United right. States. There's not a lot of new filters, if any, being formed and um, the court of public opinion has actually pushed a few of them off of the market, which is minimizing even, you know, minimizing the amount that's available for the consumer. So the way bacillus lysate is positioned is we're not claiming it has SPF itself or that it, it, it could be used like that, but it could be used as a booster. So yeah. if you make a sunscreen with it, per regulations, we have to still make sunscreens with the same avabenzone, octocrylene, homosalicylate, you know, um, any of the UV filters, zinc, titanium, dioxide, right? Anything that is currently still used, but we can add bacillus lysate for that extra benefit, uh, the right. extra SPF boosting uh, capability. So that's- you know, I would be so interested to see how the studies would look if you were to use the serum underneath a normal SPF 30 and see how often you would have to reapply that SPF 30. That is something I'd be really, really interested in because honestly, this reapplication stuff is really kind of getting under my skin at this point because I keep thinking from a clinical standpoint where I'm like, you know what, if you keep applying two and a half teaspoons of sunscreen on your face every four hours, eventually you're going to soak that into your blood. And there is true relevance to that clinical relevance. So I would be very, very interested to see how this stands with that, you know what I mean, from that perspective of like reapplication more than anything. So yeah. that, that's very interesting. Yeah. I mean, we we didn't look at sun uh, protection when we did clinical trials. You know, we looked at, you know, most of the indications. 
So for that aspect, for regular implications, you know, reapplying, you know, twice a day was able to do the trick. But for the sunscreen application, you know, we're 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 looking at making our own sunscreen uh, with the product. We have we have some base formulations that are killer. I mean, ultra smooth. They're not tick uh, thick or tacky. They they rub in. The playtime is perfect. It's not too long. It's not too short. Uh, so we're in the process of developing those now with the added longevity benefits that we talked about. So not only are you having the protection factor, but ultimately this sunscreen would also have the hyaluronic acid, the UVA free radical protection, the sirtuin activation, the antioxidant potential. So it's, 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 we're, we're in development now. Um, so that is one to come. And also for the line, you know, we have that serum and we have the eye cream, but we're also uh, planning to launch a general face lotion, a face moisturizer um, that could be used, applied multiple times during the day or in, in general, just whenever you feel dry. And then also an overnight eye cream, which is that heavy moisturizer uh, that features other actives that would work synergistically with the bacillus lysate. Um, so we're, we're planning on a whole line around the functional components, um, the functional attributes of bacillus lysate to really maximize the benefit. And, you know, you made a, an interesting comment where, you know, people tend to find or that they, or they want to use multiple products because yeah. they feel like they have to do this all for their skin. My idea about skincare is not hiding or forcing your skin to be something it's not but giving it what it needs to be its best because, you know, your skin's different than my skin and it's different than the models that are using it or your friend's skin. So to try to make your skin be quote unquote, you know, ideal or normal for something that it may not be able to be right. You're, you may be using products that are actually detrimental to your skin when your skin may just need one little thing. And instead of taking the minimalist approach where, trying to look at one product to do it and then see how it goes. People just tend to buy four, five, six products thinking they can product their way out of skin problems when, in fact, if you just use something that nourishes your skin and makes your skin more efficient, that may be all you need. Exactly. So that's, that's yeah. the concept in, that I have with De La Vie. And when we develop ingredients and products, we're not trying to hide who you are or mask who you are or change who you are. We're trying to make your own skin work as best as it can. I love that. I really love that. And I love that you said that because I think that's a message that most consumers don't get to hear enough from like true like scholars. You know what I mean? I, I know we hear like influencers trying to say things like, you know, love the skin you're in and that's great, but you need proof, right? You want, you want somebody with with credentials and with with a background to be able to tell you like listen this is, you don't have to change who you are you just have to work with products that are actually good for you and I think that that's really you know in terms of the state of the industry I always wonder to myself you know um, Dr. Landry I'd made a point a while ago about how you know we need to stop pouring money into these redundant products and we need to pour that money into funds that fund research like this because at the end of the day if you could get some a serum like this into everyone hands you would eliminate like 70 percent of the redundancy in this industry you know what i mean like well, you really would 
<laughs> you know, we we get some comments, like for example, someone uh, made a comment on our social media saying, yeah. you know, hey, you know, I get the same results using a retinol, a vitamin C serum, and a moisturizer. And in my mind, I'm like, yeah, you're using three products. Right. And this one has the same thing. You know, like right. why you look at it from the minimalist approach instead of, you know, having a draw full, maybe you just, you have this good serum, a, a good general moisturizer, and maybe a cleanser. And that's yeah. it. You know, you don't need four products to, to do one thing. And I laughed when I saw that comment because- yeah, I mean, yeah. It's it's a bit ridiculous also because of the the lack of dosing in the industry as well. I mean, you're you're putting on products that are probably, you know, when you're layering products, it's something I hear from consumers as well as they chime in and they email us about, you know, certain shows we host and whatever. And, you know, I always try to respond with, hey, find a good moisturizer and find a good serum. That's really what you need. And, and obviously an SPF. But like at the end of the day, there's this thing called pilling. And what pilling is, is when you have too many layers of product on your skin. And it's happening because none of those products that you layered on top, probably the first layer, none of that is getting to your skin, guys. Yeah. Like it's not really reaching those cells. And, you know, that's one of the biggest misconceptions in the industry. And I mean, I don't know, you know, you can blame whoever you want, but at the end of the day, the science, you know, supports the idea that the real benefits of skincare lies in exposing the outermost cells of your skin to the ingredients you want them to be exposed to, whatever that is, whether that's retinol, whether that's antioxidants, whether that's whatever, right? So, mm -hmm. I mean, at the end of the day, it's not as complicated as we're making it seem as an industry. I mean, if we just, you know, if consumers would just get on board with the idea that, okay, I've got one layer of skin cells sitting at the very top and I want to make sure whatever I'm putting on them is actually going to do its job and it's going to, you know, do and perform the way I want it to perform, then we, we wouldn't be here, you know, in this, in the sense of like redundancy and just, you know, overexposure to products and, you know, hypersensitivity reactions and all this stuff that happens, right? So, so um, I, I hear you and I, I agree with you. I think that it's it's definitely time for a change. You know, it's definitely time for a shift in the industry when it comes to that. Now, one thing I do want to ask you, though, because you had brought up retinol and that is really intriguing to me because I think retinol for me is a very um, I'm on the fence with this product. Yeah. I'm really on the fence. And, you know, it's because of the clinical data um, that doesn't really get reported a lot. There's some clinical data that does get reported that's all positive and all that, but there's yeah. a lot negative and we don't ever talk about it. So I want to get your opinion about retinol and what is really, you know, what do you think about it? So, you know, the main, the main thing that, you know, I always hear is, you know, it's issues with sun exposure, right? right. And, and right. what it can do, you know, it has its place. It has its location uh, in, in the lineup, but it's not a magic bullet. And, what I feel is going on in the industry is people are looking for one thing that does everything. And that is why you get this, uh, I don't want to say cherry pick data, but, but data that supports what consumers are looking for. So, you know, retinol has, has its place, but it's not going to do all of the things that people are looking for it to do. So when they use a retinol product and they're looking for X, Y, and Z, but it gives you ABC instead, you know, there's a negative issues uh, associated with that. I, you know, 
the, we're, we're planning on using retinol in one of our overnight eye creams, specifically overnight, because yeah. we want to minimize sun exposure, which leads to, you know, potentially phototoxic compounds that can, that can cause issues in the skin. But I think it is, it is there if you know what its limitations are, but you can't expect it to do everything. Um, and like you said, cross-reactivity or layering or not understanding how to use products can also lead to negative attributes or negative thoughts about a product. Um, you know, when what's funny when you talk about the clinical data, because on our site, we're very transparent. Uh, we put all of our clinical data up there. We're still actively accumulating data and we're putting it up there and we're showing the good. We're showing, you know, we're showing all of it. It, it is what it is the result from the clinical trial. But people, you know, companies are, I don't want to say they're afraid to do that, but they just don't want to show limitations in their, um, in their technology. And we're science driven, we're science focused, and the, the proof is in the data. And yeah. if, if our data is not compelling enough for you, then, you know, you'll go somewhere else. But at least we have it out there. More so, you know, most companies just have you know, 85% of the, the subjects like the smell or 85% of the people believe their skin was softer, right? It's, those are like subjective type of questionnaire comments. We're putting out the actual instrumental analysis, the actual, you know, techniques that we're using and, and the results. But yeah, the ingredients, you know, they all have their place. Um, I don't think one is better than the other. They all are just have their own function in a toolbox, and you just have to know their limitations and, and what they excel at. Now, bacillus lysate, um, you know, how does it interact with other ingredients? Is there, is there any stability issues or is it pretty stable by itself? So, so far, what we've, what we've found with our testing, now obviously we can't test it against every single thing, right? It's impossible, millions okay. and millions of things. Uh, but we've done a whole host of different formulations. We've done it, you know, all the standard stability testing, micro testing, human patch testing, sensitization testing, eye irritation testing, all, all tissue cultures though. We don't test on animals or anything like that. Um, and so far we've had no issues. Uh, we haven't seen really any cross reactivity, um, any negative attributes per se. Um, it is water-based, so you can't put it in a, a heavy oil formula. You'll have problems there, right? It'll fall out of solution. But for the stuff we're looking at, it's it's doing really well. That's awesome. I love that. That's really, really good news. And I'm really excited. You know, I like I said, I love both of the products in the line and I and I can't wait to like utilize them over the months to come. And, you know, for everyone listening, I'm definitely going to keep you guys updated because I really love them. And Dr. Landry, I can't thank you enough for, you know, sharing this knowledge with us. I'm obsessed with everything you guys are doing. This is real science and I'm so here for it. You know, it's very rare that I get to have the honor to interview someone like yourself and, and really learn about this kind of stuff because it's very much needed, you know, not only in skincare, but I think overall, you know, in healthcare in general. And so thank you so much for everything you do and for creating such a beautiful line. Um, huge fan. And I can't wait to see all the, all the brand new releases that you guys are coming out with soon. Yeah. Not, not just Aonia, but also other ingredients. Like I said, we have a pipeline of patented proprietary innovative ingredients with the same pedigree. Uh, right. science first, data first, clinical results first, and then, you know, marketing second. Love that. 
love that so much um and everyone listening i really really want you guys to check out um both of the products i'm going to link them in the uh, concept art for this episode and if you have any questions at all please reach out to us we will definitely pass your questions along to dr landry and his team and see if we can get some answers for you but i really really suggest you guys check out the products check out the line you're gonna love it and you know just give it a shot because this is really innovative and very very new to the industry i mean you're not going to find anything else like this i haven't you know and i've interviewed over 500 people at this point so um <laughs> you know it's, it's really really novel so i i really encourage you guys check it out um leave us your feedback your thoughts but dr landry thank you so much and i would love to have you back anytime if your time allows okay thank you so much and of course anytime just let me know thank you so much